Welcome to the London First Baptist Church podcast. This is the Sunday morning service for March 20th, 2022 from Pastor Brett Cottrell. You, you, know, you ever been in one of those, you know, maybe you're in a museum or you're in a store and you realize you've got something valuable, something intimidating, and you're going, I know I've been invited, but I don't want to do anything wrong. I don't want to break it. I don't want to, I don't want to misstate. I don't want to misstep. I don't think I belong here. It's intimidating, perhaps. Maybe, maybe you've had one of those experiences. Well, this morning as we come to Hebrews chapter 10, you and I are going to see an invitation that we have been given. We have been invited, you and I, to come into the very presence of the God of creation. Now, at first thought, we might think to ourselves, well, of course, you know, God's given us. We, perhaps if you've grown up in church, you've been around a church bunch, you think, of course, God wants us to do this. But if you just think about it for a moment, we have been invited into the throne room of God. We have been invited by the Creator Himself to draw near. And we might be tempted to think, Ooh, I don't know if I should go there. That, that's a big deal. And yet you and I have been not only invited to come into his presence, we've been invited to talk, we've been welcomed in as a family member. So let's read chapter 10, verse 19 of the book of Hebrews. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word this morning, we recognize that you have invited us into your home. Lord, we know that we're not worthy of such an honor. We know that we have nothing to bring. And yet you have invited us and welcomed us in nonetheless. In fact, you've even told us to come with assurance and confidence. Father, may we take these words and your invitation this morning. And may we come in. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This verse, verse 19, begins with the word, therefore. What we might as well be saying is, uh, the writer of Hebrews is saying, as a result of all that I mentioned right before this, so now, or because of all this, you can now enter in. So we need to at least reference what the therefore is, in fact, there for. So what is the author of Hebrews has been talking about. Well, if we were to go back and read and look at the first 18 verses, I want to just sum up these things. What he would tell us is this. I want to, I want to hang on, on, on one verse in particular. In verse 14 of chapter 10 of Hebrews, the author says this, For by one offering he has, that is Jesus, has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. What we find out from earlier in this chapter is that the work of God through Christ is about the process of making you and I holy, perfect, worthy to come in to the presence of God Almighty, to the Creator God. And because of the work of Christ on the cross, because of the victory of resurrection and the empty tomb, 
because of God's grace and His mercy, because of the gift of faith, because of all these things, we can now enter into the presence of God Himself. We would see in these previous verses that the blood of Christ as shed on that cross, and we'll be talking about that more obviously in the next few weeks as we leave and look closer to Easter. The blood of Christ completely covers our sin and removes our guilt in such a way that our conscience even can rest at peace. Not because we are in fact right now actually sinless. And not because we don't realize that we've done things wrong, even perhaps this morning, but because by faith we understand I know I've sinned, it grieves me, but I have a Savior who has cleansed me, who has forgiven me, who has invited me in and has covered my sins. So because I have that, because that's true, I can now, with confidence, go into the throne room of God. All of those who are in Christ, that is, we have placed our faith in Jesus, we have recognized what he did on the cross, we've recognized his resurrection, and we have said, my life belongs to him. I am with him. I am following him. My life rests on him. Those who have done that, who now have the presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives because of all that, we are being sanctified, is the Bible word for it. It simply means we are being perfected. Now, I will stand up with Paul and say, am I perfect yet? And the answer is a resounding no. Now, that was the voice. That's when y'all get in there. <laughs> Ernie was just, he, couldn't, he knew the word was coming. He couldn't wait to get in there. No. And guess what? Neither are you. And, I'm sorry. I hate to burst your bubble. No, we're not perfect. But we have one who has said, you are going to be perfect. I'm making you perfect. And when God starts projects, He always finishes what He begins. So you and I this morning, if you are those who would count yourself as one who has placed their lives in the hand of the Father, you are in the process of being sanctified, perfected, made holy. And because of that, because you are His personal project, you can now come into the presence of God and, in fact, draw near as the invitation holds out. That our, 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 our invitation this morning is found there in verse 22. Let us draw near. Over the next couple of weeks, this week and next week in particular, I'm going to be speaking to you about this idea of drawing near. And beginning next Monday, not tomorrow, but next Monday, March 28th, I'm going to invite you to along with me participate in 21 days of drawing near through prayer. 21 days starting March 28th, which will lead us to Resurrection Sunday or Easter Sunday. 21 days where we as a church will together pray and seek to draw near to the one who's made an entrance for us to his throne room. That's the invitation I want to give to you this morning. Again, we're going to start this We'll, we'll pass out some information next week, and we will start this a week from tomorrow. But here's the invitation to draw near. Now, we can do this. We can draw near because with assurance and confidence because of what God has done. 
He says there in verse 19, Brethren, since we have confidence because of what Christ has done, not confidence in ourselves, not confidence in your own ability to keep the rules, not confidence in your own ability to figure things out, not confidence in your own ability to make the grade, but confidence in what God has done in Christ. Because of that, we can, he says, enter into the holy place. Now, part of what's happening in the book of Hebrews, if you were to read through it, is that the author of Hebrews is using the Old Testament temple, the Old Testament tabernacle that the people of Israel would worship God at, where they performed all their sacrifices and all those things we read about in the Old Testament. And the book of Hebrews is using those patterns, using, that, using the temple, using those, those sacrifices, using those rituals, and he is comparing them to what now Christ has done for us, and he's trying to, to demonstrate for us why what Christ has done has completed and perfected and is now superior to all that came before him. So he's using the pictures of the tabernacle and the temple in this discussion. And so he does that here in verse 19 when he refers to the holy place. The holy place is sometimes called the holy of holies. It was where once a year the high priest of Israel would go in on behalf of the entire nation, sacrifice an animal that would stand in place and lose its blood to cover the sins of the nation. That's the picture here. Now, the high priest of Israel only went in there once a year. It was called the Day of Atonement. And so once a year, they would go through this ritual of making the sacrifice on behalf. So once a year, one man was allowed to go into this room, and that was it. And in that room were things like the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the very presence of God. So one time a year, one man designated by the people of Israel, by his descendants from Aaron as a high priest, one man, one time a year, after a lot of preparation, went into this one room, and that was it. That was the meeting of God of the people of Israel. That was when it took place. But when Jesus did what he did on the cross, now what happens is this. All of us get to go in. All right? Here's the deal. You and I don't have to wait for one guy once a year to go in and meet God on our behalf. We get to do it, well, every day. And you don't have to wait on him. You don't have to wait on me. The truth is, you don't need me to pray for you. I will do that. But I don't have some special access to God that other people don't have. Your deacons don't have special access to God that you don't have. Alan doesn't have it either. When Jesus did what he did, when we came to faith in Christ, now it means that any of us can come in. You don't need someone on TV to do it for you. You can speak to him yourself with confidence. You have no more need for anyone to go on your behalf. For Christ has done this. Secondly, he opened access not to just anybody, but to all time. We don't even have to wait till once a year. We don't even have to wait once a week. You do realize you can pray between Monday through Saturday, right? And I know you do. I'm just being a little bit facetious here. You guys can pray Monday through Saturday. You can pray at 9 o'clock in the morning, 6 o'clock in the morning, or 8 o'clock at night. The truth is, it's been ripped open for us. No longer do we have to worry about what time of the day or what day of the week or who it is. 
We can pray at home. We can pray in the car. We can pray at work. We can pray at school. By the way, prayer has not been removed from all these places. Those who will tell you that prayer is not in school are not there themselves. I'm, caring, I'm telling you, I know enough teachers, enough students, prayer is in school. Now, maybe they're not saying it over the loudspeaker for, for everyone to, to listen to, but that's okay. I'm not all that worried about non, non-Christians trying to pray anyway. If there are Christians there, God is there. Prayer is there. Wherever you go, you can pray. Prayer is not just for that one spot over here or that one time over there. It's everywhere you are. Now, by the way, that doesn't mean we don't have time to come together and meet and pray together. That's that's a vital time for us to do that. In fact, the end of this chapter, we didn't get there, but verse 25, right after all this, he says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. So yes, we all have access anytime, anywhere. It doesn't mean we stop coming together and meeting when we do. But you have access to the Creator at all times and all places. You are invited. In fact, you don't just have access. He has invited you in. He says to you, draw near. That holy place that was talked about in verse 19, that is, in the Old Testament, that is the dwelling place of God. And by the way, God dwelling with His people, which is what the temple represented, is what the tabernacle represented. It's the purpose and the hope of God that we, you and I, dwell with Him. That is, live with Him, hang out with Him, reside with Him. From the moment that Adam and Eve were cast out because of their sin in Genesis chapter 3 to the moment of Christ until the time yet to come in Revelation, the movement of God has been this. We have been separated. We are no longer in fellowship, but He has been moving history, time, and events so that there will be a day when we will in fact dwell with Him again. That's the movement of history. The movement of history is not empires and rulers and governments. The, history, the, the, the movement of history is not nations or political systems or financial systems. The movement of history is the reunion of a people separated from their God to be made one with Him again. That's the movement of history. So that in Revelation 21, we see at the end of history, God comes and shows up and He says, once more my dwelling place will be with my people. The, the, the point of history is to move you and I to that spot where we are once again dwelling with God in the holy place. That's the movement of history. And so he says here, you have been invited in to that point. He says, you have been, we, so we now, because of what Christ has done, we have confidence, we can come in. Now, again, we might not think too much of that word confidence, but I, I mentioned you know, for the people of Israel, he had one guy once a year going into the one room to talk to God on behalf of everybody. And it was a big deal. That guy had to go through a number of different things. In fact, we'll, we'll see a reference to this in a moment. But that one guy, that high priest, he had to go through an elaborate set of rituals, any one of which, if he did not do right, could mean his life when he walked into that Holy of Holies. He had to go through all of these different things. And then, when he got ready to go in, they would still tie a string or a rope around his foot so that if he had done something wrong and he went in there and killed over dead, they could pull him out. Now, that's pressure. You know, if, you, if, you, uh, 
you're into basketball, you know, this weekend has been fantastic for you. The NCAA basketball tournament and guys like me look forward to this all year long. And I've, I've had, in high school, I had the privilege one time in playing high school ball to have that opportunity at the end of a game to be on the free throw line with one second left. And whether we won or lost was going to be on whether or not I shot the free throw, whether I made the free throw. I've been in that category. By the way, in case you're wondering, we won. Um, um, just want to throw that out there. There's a little pressure there. The high priest has some pressure going into that room. We go, that's a privilege, that's a cool thing. It's a double-A tournament. You see all these guys with pressure as they try to win games and win national championships. TV's watching, the world's watching. It's a lot of pressure. It's pressure when you go into a room. If you haven't done everything right, you die. That's pressure. And yet, that kind of pressure that high priest would feel once a year, he says to us, oh, you guys, just walk right on in. No pressure. In fact, walk in with confidence. Walk in with assurance. Now that high priest, if I'm him, I don't care how many times I've done everything right, I've double-checked that list two or three times before I walk into that room. And I'm probably still nervous when I walk in. And yet, God tells us, because of what Christ has done, because Christ has taken that doorway, that veil, that curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple, because Christ himself has torn that, that veil down and he himself is the entrance and he's standing there saying, come on in. Go in with confidence. You and I have access to draw near to God in full assurance and confidence. We don't have to walk in wondering whether that will die. That's a big deal. So he says, you come in to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by this new and living way which he inaugurated for us. Jesus had made possible this incredible thing to speak to the living God, to speak to the almighty God, to speak to God the righteous, the healer, the glorious one, the holy one of Israel. The question is, will we answer the invitation? Even as believers, even as those who we know have placed our faith in Christ, do we come into God's presence with confidence? Do we enter into the room by invitation? Well, we think to ourselves, well, of course we do. Well, I'm wondering if we do or not. Or do we simply say, well, I believe I can. I know I can. I know I'm allowed but it's more comfortable out here. Imagine, uh, imagine having tickets to a, a concert or an event or a game. You know, one of the, uh, we talked about basketball, I, I mentioned basketball here. One of, the, one of the very first big things I ever got to go to was in 1990. And in 1990, the Arkansas Razorback basketball team was they, they made the Final Four. They, 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 had a, they had a really, really good team. It was Nolan Richardson's first Final Four team. And they were playing what's called the Elite Eight matchup. They were playing, a, 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 basically they were down to the last eight teams in the country, and they were playing a game to get to the next level. They were playing in Dallas, and they were playing the University of Texas Longhorns. It was a hard ticket to get. We had some guys in the church that we knew there in Texas, 
and this guy knew I wanted to go, but there's no chance I'm going to get tickets to something like that. That's way out of the poor, I'm, I'm a junior in college. Do I have money to spend on, on a ticket like that? No. This guy got me a ticket. He said, would you like a ticket to go watch this game? The answer, of course, is yes. So he gave me the ticket to go to the game. Now, at that point, I've got a couple of options. I could take that ticket, and I can go to the game, or I could take that ticket and go, look what I got. I get to get into the game. Look at that ticket. Look what I get to do. This is so cool. I'm going to take this ticket home, frame it, put it on the wall, and that's going to be fantastic. Look, I had a ticket. Now, what good is that ticket going to do me hanging in the wall on a piece of glass? It'll look good. Will it get me the game that way? No. By the way, in case you're wondering, young people, this is before digital tickets, okay? Just, just get that out of the way there. Paper tickets was all we had back then. So if you want to get in, you got to take this with you. I can't just hold up my phone and get in, all right? Just want to point that out. So I, got, I, I can point to the ticket and frame it and go, look at me, I got a ticket. Or I can actually take the ticket, go to the game, and be there. Do you know what you and I have this morning, if we have faith in Christ, if He is ours? We have the ticket. I wonder, are we boasting about the ticket? Are we proud of the ticket? Do we say, I get to do this, and then never actually go in to talk to Him? Do we have access to the God of heaven, to the God of creation, and yet never actually do anything with it? Just hang it on the wall and go, look, I'm, I got a ticket. Or do we go in to the room and access the God of creation? Because remember, we don't just have to take it. Christ is there at the door welcoming, welcoming us in and saying, come on in. He says, by a new living way that he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, now let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. All that means is this. We know that we have confidence to come in and it's been taken care of. Now, you can, in fact, right now go online and you can buy to an event or a concert secondhand tickets. I didn't buy the original ticket from the original venue, but I can go in and I can, through various websites or uh, whatever else, and I have bought those type of tickets in the past. And before there were websites, before there was internet, sometimes you just walked up to a game and someone said, oh, I got tickets, and you hope they were giving you real tickets. Because there have been people known to sell fake tickets. I don't know if you ever come across that or not, but it happens from time to time. People say, oh, I got a ticket. This is, hey, I know it costs 100 bucks to get in. Here's one for 20. Oh, great deal. Guess what? It wasn't real. And you try to get in, and all of a sudden you find out you're in trouble. Well, what he tells us here in, in, in verse 22 is, if you've got this invitation from Christ, there's, there's no fake tickets here. With a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, you know you belong. You have been invited. You're in. He's talking to you. Again, you, you know what it's like sometimes in a crowded room. You, you think it looks like there's somebody over there and they're waving at you. They're, they're talking to you like this. And you go, I don't recognize them, but why do they want me to come over there? I don't know who that is. And so you're about to answer them and you realize they're actually talking to someone behind you. Y'all ever happen? The invitation is, in fact, to you. Jesus is at the door of the entrance of the holy place, having done what he's done on the cross and in the resurrection, and he's talking to you, looking you in the eye, saying, come in, please. 
You have been invited. You have an entrance. You have, been, you have the ticket. Come in with a sincere confidence that this belongs to you. When, when we come in with doubt, or if we come in with, he talked about this idea of sincerity here, a, a sincere heart and full assurance. Another way to look at this would be this. Not only can we wonder if we have deserved it, but we might wonder, or maybe we think we have an agenda. Part of being sincere, by the way, is I get to meet him. I get to talk to him. Wow. And I have a hunch that when you go in to talk to God and you meet God, nothing else matters. Now, we can point in the New Testament to people like Ananias and Sapphira. We saw them earlier in the book of Acts. You remember Ananias and Sapphira? They were the ones that lied to the Holy Spirit about their offering, and down they went. That's called approaching God in an insincere way. They had an agenda. They, they, wanted to, they were more interested in how they looked to other people. They were more looked in their social advancement than they were in God himself. That would be insincere. But he says, we come to him with sincere hearts and assurance. If I know that I, in fact, belong to God and He has invited me in through the blood of Christ, I know that my sins have been taken care of. I know that even though I don't deserve it, He has paid it all. It's taken care of. The ticket has been purchased. It's been given. It's a legitimate thing. And if I'm still, at that point, nervous, that speaks more to my lack of faith than it does to Him. It may be that sometimes we don't trust God as much as we say we, th- we say, say we do. Well, he says, come on in. If we're thinking to ourselves, yeah, but I did this and I did that. and I, Well, what you did has got nothing to do with it. It's what he did. Our confidence is never in what you and I did. Our confidence is never even in our intentions. Our confidence is never in our motivations. Our confidence is in what Jesus did. And if I am doubting the invitation Jesus gave me, I'm doubting what he did. I'm doubting what he accomplished. I'm thinking to myself that maybe as incredibly powerful as Jesus is, as incredibly sacrificial as what he did is, maybe the cross isn't enough to get me in. Somehow we think we are powerful enough to defeat the plans and the purposes and the salvation of God. Let me tell you what, you're not. You're not powerful enough to earn it, and you're not powerful enough to, uh, to get rid of it either. Once we have come to faith in God, once we, He has saved us, once He has made us His, once He has covered us, once He has paid our price, it never goes back and gets unpaid. In fact, you cannot, He says, you go in with full assurance. Once God does something, He doesn't undo it. If he's good, if he did, then we'd have reason to be worried. But he says, no, you go in with full confidence and full assurance. And the invitation is, of course, to draw near. Come close to the one true living God. That is the invitation. It's God's will for you, even now, that you will draw near to him. That you'll speak like the psalmist does in Psalm 42. We even... Think about it a little bit. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where shall I, when shall I come and appear before God? Answer that question like now. As the deer pants for the water, 
soul, my soul longs after you. I, 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 did not tell, I did not tell you I was going to use that verse this morning, did I? How about that? You and I have been invited. And God really wants you there. Look what he did to make it happen. So the question is, will we respond? He, he goes so far there in verse 22 as to continue. He says, we can have full assurance because our hearts have been sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, our bodies washed with pure water. I mentioned that he's been using the temple in the Old Testament kind of as a pattern. What the, one of the things the priest would do before he went into that Holy of Holies, he had to take a bath. He had to wash himself from top to bottom. So he washed himself pure. He washed himself clean. Now we know that washing with water does not make us fit for God by itself. It represents something else. It represents the cleaning, the, the holiness that God does on our behalf. The sprinkling there is a reference to when they would take, that, take the blood of that sacrificed animal, they would bring it into the Holy of Holies, and they would sprinkle it on the seat on that, on that Ark of the Covenant. And it represented the blood covering our sin. In the same way that the blood at the at the Passover in Exodus was spread over the doorpost, and that was what enabled the, the angel of death to pass over and to give them freedom. The blood sprinkled on the Ark of the Covenant represented the blood of Christ covering us, covering our sins, represented forgiveness. So these are two terms that represent all that stuff that had to take place in the temple that has now for you and I, through Christ, been done once and for all. You and I no longer have to shed blood to cover and pay for the cost of our sin tomorrow night when you live through your monday if you are in christ this morning or tomorrow morning you do not have to at the end of the day sacrifice an animal to take care of your sins on monday you don't have to do it at the end of the year it's already been done once for all period end of story it's taken care of so you can now because of that come to him with confidence. So here's the invitation this morning. Draw near with confidence. That's the invitation. And God wants us to do this. In the Old Testament, Jerusalem was judged and, 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 and uh, condemned by God for not doing this. Zephaniah, that, I'm sure you've read Zephaniah recently. Zephaniah 3.2 says this. God says, speaking of Israel, she heeded no voice. She accepted no instruction. She did not trust in the Lord. She did not draw near to God. God is angry with Israel because he gave them the invitation to draw near and they wouldn't do it. Psalm 100 says this to us. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord himself is God. It's he who made us and not we ourselves. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. You get that? Come before him. Enter into the gates. Enter into his presence. And he says, do so there with joy. Not with fear and trepidation. Not with tiptoeing, wondering if, you're going to, if your next step is going to be your last. He says, if you are mine, you show up and be happy about it. Be confident about it. Know that I've invited you in. It's a good thing. I wonder, do we even on Sunday morning, I, I, don't, I don't want us to put on a fake face. Don't pretend things are great. I'm not talking about showing up on a Sunday morning and putting on a face that makes everyone think you're, you're okay and nothing's wrong. I'm not talking about that. 
But I'm talking about you get to come into the presence of your Creator with confidence, with assurance, knowing He has asked you to come in and welcomed you in. That's worth joyful singing, don't you think? Psalm 145, the Lord is near to all who call upon Him, to all who call upon Him in truth. There are ways, of course, to draw near. First and foremost, it's salvation. It's coming to Christ. It's placing our faith upon Him. It's calling out to Him and trusting Him and believing Him. That's where it begins. And then as one granted access through Christ to the Father. It's worship, it's singing, it's obedience, it's prayer, it's all these things. But again, I want to draw your attention this morning particularly to prayer. Again, I mentioned it a while ago. A week from tomorrow, and next Sunday we're going to give you the chance to commit to this. 21 days. Now hopefully you're praying every day anyway. But 21 days of prayer Focused prayer on drawing near as we approach Resurrection Sunday. When we mark our Lord's resurrection that once a year, what we call Easter. 21 days of commitment to making sure you're reading and praying. And yes, we will provide for you a prayer guide to use, a devotional guide for those three weeks. Where we as a church can with one voice go before our God on a daily basis and say, Lord, we are drawing near to you. That will be the invitation next Sunday morning as we continue to talk about what it means to draw near. As we pass out those prayer guides that we will spend three weeks. By the way, at the end of that three weeks, we get towards Easter weekend. That Friday, Good Friday, the Friday before Easter Sunday, we're going to have, as we've done the last couple years here, we're going to have the building open for 12 hours of continuous prayer. We're going to open up a prayer room over here and for, from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. on Good Friday, we're going to invite you to sign up for 30-minute slots and to be up here. To be, we have someone up here on the church grounds praying throughout the entire day. We're going to open up the building to our community, whoever wants to come in and pray and ask questions for the whole day. It'll be open on that day. I wonder what God will do. I guess that's, that'll be day 19. <laughs> what God will do with the people What will God do with, say, a hundred people from London First Baptist who for three weeks draw near? Oh, it could be a glorious thing, what God will do. That's the invitation. Will you this morning draw near with confidence and assurance?